Hi, I'm the show's producer, Hannah Vitti. You heard my voice as co-host last season. And now, I'm thrilled to be a producer for Sandow. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to remind you that along with the launch of season two of the podcast, if you're itching to start seeing results, head to the ThinkLab website, thinklab.design, to preview our leading-edge playbook, Fidgetal Forward, 100 Practical Ways to Revolutionize the B2B Sale. Yep, you heard that right. 100 ideas. Each one will give you an actionable idea, explain how to implement, and provide some optional reading, inspiration, or even team exercises to spark your creativity. Now, without further ado, here's Amanda to kick off our episode titled The Future of Customer Experience. At ThinkLab, we have a saying. The biggest future innovations won't come from product innovation. Instead, they'll come from process innovation. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a product designer by background, so it may seem a bit ironic coming from me. But how do you innovate process? Here's a clue. It starts with empathy. Empathy is really about you trying to put yourself and experience something very different than maybe how you would experience it in someone else's shoes. Many times when we're going through the sales process or the customer journey, we're always thinking about what's going to give us the edge up or how how are we going to really land that project and really get this client to trust us when we're missing many times the point of the things that are keeping them up at night and how they're thinking about the little things that can turn into big things and having empathy for that client and understanding all the things they're trying to juggle is when we miss the mark. We really haven't looked at things through the client's lens. The voice you just heard was from my coworker and hackathon co-facilitator, AJ Perone. You'll hear more from her and why empathy in the sales process and in the world of design is a personal passion for her. But let's first dive into the structure of this jam-packed episode. Now, this episode consists of three chapters. Each will provide a unique lens into the evolution of the customer experience, built from our hackathon insights. In chapter one, you'll hear inspiration from our outside of the industry expert, Chris Denson. He's the author of the 2018 Amazon number one bestseller, Crushing the Box, 10 Essential Rules for Breaking Essential Rules. He's the creator and host of the Innovation Crush podcast series, and currently serves as the US Director of Innovation at an award-winning creative agency. In chapter two, we'll hear from our in-industry experts, about building internal practices to drive client empathy from David Levo, global higher ed practice and principal at Perkins Eastman, and Anu Rao, vice president and market lead for the project management team at JLL in LA. And finally, in chapter three, we'll hear even more from AJ. But we wanna begin with our central discovery on the topic of the customer experience right up front. Are you ready? The biggest challenge to creating a customer experience often comes from a lack of internal alignment. Now, as the customer experience gets increasingly frictionless in our B2C world, B2B buyers expect the same. We have to enable them to make decisions faster. But how? You'll discover more in this episode. Welcome to season two of Design Nerds Anonymous the podcast that sparks curiosity at the intersection of business and design. 
I'm your host, Amanda Schneider, founder and president at ThinkLab, the research division of Sandow Design Group and sister company to media brands you know and love, like Interior Design, Metropolis, Lux, and more. At ThinkLab, our passion is sharing inspiration for your business, fuel for your design process, and connection with people and ideas for positive disruption. So thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Let's dive into chapter one. Meet Chris. Hi, I'm Chris Denson. I'm the director of innovation at an agency called Mullen Lowe. I'm also the host of a few different series, one of them being Innovation Crush, a series I've hosted for about seven years. Another is uh, Fast Companies, The Work in Progress, all about diversity and inclusion and cross business and innovation and startup ecosystems and all sorts of stuff. In his book, Crushing the Box, 10 Essential Rules for Breaking Essential Rules, there's actually an entire chapter related to driving empathy. Gave all the chapters really weird names, but it's called Swim Like an Otter. And the, the anecdote that's told in that story is a, is a friend of mine who's currently the, the visual strategist at NASA. His name is Dan Goods, and he's an artist by trade. He's done all sorts of public exhibitions for NASA. He's helped redesign conference rooms. He's helped craft missions, all sorts of things. Just bring flowery language to engineering speak, if you will. And so when he was in art school, he had a professor who had him do an assignment of drawing a picture of an otter. And I drew the picture, turned it in, and then the professor's like, great, good job. Tomorrow, meet me at the pool. And he's like, okay, and bring your swim trunks. He's like, all right, that sounds fine. So, so he shows up, and the professor actually shows him a video of an otter swimming. And he's like, now you get in the water, and you swim like one. And the guy goes, and Dan's like, okay. And so he does it and really gives him this deepened sense of what it is like to be in the body and the body of water like this creature is. And of course, he redid the assignment and it came out stellar and even better. And and it just goes to show like how deep can we we do, go in our own careers and our own lives to really develop that sense of empathy. How do we learn to swim like otters? Here's another story from the book. Another anecdote that's in in that same chapter is a friend of mine who was at the time the CMO of Starbucks China, and uh, she had just taken on a job and they have a mandatory 11 week period by which you do nothing. If you know, when you come into the company, you visit stores, you go talk to people, you attend meetings, you kind of just keep your mouth shut and absorb what's going on. And a lot of times, especially in going into a new space, we want to get in and get a win really quickly, which is also important, but is even more important to actually like be quiet, understand, ask questions, the dumber the better. And, and, and then you have you know knowledge and experience that can inform your next decision. As I look at our industry, we have a lot of givers. Yeah. I think our industry has an easy time really focusing on our clients and how we could give them more and do more for them. And they would love to have 12 week periods where they just absorb and ask questions. But part of our industry's challenge is this Amazon era that we're in and finding the time to slow down to speed up. And I would say really innovating their own businesses, taking the time to think about the design process, which is inherently a slow, creative thing, and find ways to reinvent it. So as you think about in any of the work that you're doing, trying to help your clients innovate and be more creative faster, what advice do you have or what other tangible exercises could they do? The first thing that comes to mind for me is pain points. 
and I, I was going to say it three times, which I'll do anyway. Pain points, pain points, pain points. We all have them. And so, you know, thanks to the pandemic, they've shifted a lot, right? The things that we were concerned with two years ago have moved a little bit. And and so, yes, that Amazon era of let me just get something, order it quickly, et cetera, et cetera. Or I, you know, my business as a C-suite executive or department a person who runs a department, you know, we're hurting. And so what's going to be fastest, easiest, most financially sound decision we can make in the middle of, you know, know, uh, being uncertain about the near and distant future. Chris's advice to all of us to make this client-focused mindset a reality, gamify your culture. Human beings, we are problem solvers. And one of the things that makes the video game industry work is that it is all about problem solving and achieving. Every game is like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, and now I figured out how to beat it. And it, you just keep leveling up, and that's what we do on a day-to-day basis. Your job, like you said, the research, under, uncovering those pain points so that you can solve the problem. That's when the endorphins get released and the excitement happens, and you're in a brainstorm room, and you're like, oh, wow, we figured it out. So that is that is what you're striving for. You know, while we can be caught up in what the transaction might be and how we're going to keep the lights on in our business, like get back to the excitement of discovering solutions. In a nutshell, encourage innovation from within by creating a culture that encourages your people to be pain point discoverers and pain point solvers. So all the things that we've done that have gotten us to this point and now the world has changed and we want to evolve with it and, you know, continue to do what we do best requires some level of ingenuity. So an ingenuity often means undoing certain things. And in that process, it's very messy. And Chris suggests the question we should be asking is... How do we make this experience as awesomely incredible as possible? So let's translate this thinking to our beloved industry. How do we find pain points, gamify motivations to drive empathy, and then align our internal structures to solve these challenges and truly drive awesomely incredible experiences? Chapter 2 our interviewees and assistants to setting up this in-industry challenge are two of our hackathon participants. First, meet David. I'm David Levo. I'm with Perkins Eastman. I've been with the firm for coming up uh, 20 years, but I am the global practice area leader for higher education. I spend my time on the best of both coasts, no offense to others, but in New York and Los Angeles. And meet anew. I'm Anu Rao. I lead the market for JLL's project management team in Los Angeles. I'm right behind David, completing up on 19 years with JLL. Kind of a little history there. Started with JLL in India, then moved to Florida. So familiar with that coast and now in Los Angeles for the last 13 years, running the project management team out here. Now for perspective, both of them were participants in the hackathon we started in 2020. Here's a news take on the experience of participating in the hackathon. So it was a wonderful experience with people from all kinds of cross-sections, whether it was architects, real estate professionals, clients, you know, even furniture vendors. I think the biggest thing for me is it was much required because the the whole uh, COVID situation and the work from home and the the new style of working 
was new to all of us. So I think it was good to be collectively talking about it and learning from each other and taking everybody's best practices and kind of incorporating that into what what we're doing. I think the the biggest takeaway for me was uh, really kind of the vast difference in what we kind of real estate professionals thought was important during these times versus what our clients thought was important to to them uh, and then to realize that we were the the polar opposites just kind of you know puts the emphasis back on why we need these programs and why we should be talking more to understand each other uh, and each other's you know viewpoint on on different things it was eye opening to see that delta in, in the surveys and in the conversations coming out in terms of where clients headspace were and so clearly as part of the hackathon that that we as design professionals were our customers were another and that we needed to find better ways to find empathy to to listen and that might not be through the traditional platforms that we had thought to clarify what they're both talking about here is our final map from phase 1 of the hackathon process basically we leverage a virtual whiteboard to visualize the process and then vote on the biggest pain points or opportunities. And in the case of mapping the business development process amidst lockdowns in 2020, interestingly enough, the pain points from the ecosystem, which includes commercial real estate, architecture and design firms, and manufacturers, were all upfront in the project process. But our client's pain was concentrated at the end of the project process. So, as my co-facilitator, AJ, who you'll hear a bit more from in Chapter 3, says... That was one of the parts that was our aha moment when we were looking at all the data in the hackathon is we got to this point and we had journeyed all the pain points, whether you were in real estate or you were a manufacturer or an architecture firm. And then we overlaid that with the client's pain points and we were like, oh my goodness, we are focusing on the wrong things. This is terrible. We, we need to be focusing on what the client really thinks is important, which was different. I think that that is a good lead into kind of this episode because this particular challenge about customer experience and really kind of instead of looking from the inside out and, and what are the products I provide and services I provide, but looking at it from the client perspective from the outside in and really having that empathy for, for our clients. As we look at creating empathy for how our traditional processes may evolve. We asked David and Anu, with all the change we've seen over the past year, what will stick? I think the idea that construction, especially for us, can't be done in the remote way, meetings can be done virtually, sidewalks can be done virtually. I think that that is definitely a myth that we busted, right, during this whole uh, pandemic. We've been running these projects now. Somebody told me, a client told me that they did a punch walk completely virtually and they were just... Uh, surprised as well as kind of worried that they had to do something like that. So I, I think that is definitely a, a positive outcome in some ways because we're always so worried about what's going on on projects. If you can't visit the site or if a client can't be there. But I think there's we found new ways aided by technology, of course, to, to help us kind of get over that, that worry and that hurdle. I think that is going to stick. And the fact that all the construction companies and, and architects and everyone have been able to adapt so quickly to technology. The, the technology was always there. It's just that the industry was kind of hesitant to adopt it because we thought that we were a more touch and feel like in-person industry, like we couldn't be digital. But I think this has really pushed us to think the other way and, and kind of expedited that whole idea of the digital transformation in the industry. And I think that is a good thing and hopefully it's gonna stick. 
For example, like things like we have the technology these days to watch the sites over camera, like open space is one of those technologies that we use in JLL where you upload all the plans and it can you could take pictures like 360, you wear a, a camera on your head as a project manager, you walk around and it gets uploaded into the cloud and the client can basically just click on the video or that link and walk the site with you. I mean, they're there like you are, you're walking the site and they could get the entire picture of what's going on on site. I mean, that technology isn't new. It wasn't born after March uh, 2020. It was always there. But honestly, we weren't using it as much because we're like, oh, I'm going to be on site. I'm going to take some pictures or the client is there every week. I'm just going to walk with them. And I think that has changed. And we were quickly scrambling in March to see what the technologies out there and adapting to them and kind of bring, bringing all this into the fold of project management very quickly. Within May, we were all set up to do everything virtual. It took us only like two months and that wasn't the time that the technology was developed. The technology was there. That was just the time that we found these technologies and adapted uh, to them or adapted them to, to our working style, right? So I think that has been transformational, at least uh, as a project management team. And and I'm hoping that that will stick, that there's no pressure on the client to be on site every week to look at stuff, that they can do this without having to be out there. And here's David's take about what changes will stick. Definitely result of a lot of just patterns that have accumulated over the eons. That idea that you need to be in an office to be productive is completely a myth. But I, I think it does start to then beg that question. And we know this, we know inherently the answer is, okay, look, we've seen all these things that we can do. I keep get it coming back like, okay, well, if we can do so much remotely, like what are the things that we actually can't do? Amanda, Anu, I've seen you both a number of times over the last couple of months and I deeply enjoy our, our, our company. It's not as good as if we were actually having a glass of wine together, right? And it's like, and that seems a pretty stupid thing to get on an airplane and go do. But yet when we think about some of these networks and the networks that prove durable over the course of careers, remember when you need to call folks, right? That are not necessarily just totally transactional relationships, but people you genuinely want to work with because you really enjoy their company. And I, I believe a component of that is actually the in-person. I don't know that it needs to be five days a week. How can we be as accommodating as possible? And I think it's a very interesting question to kind of come back and say, yes, but there are some things that actually do need to be in-person because the nature of the experience, and there's something core to that that we're trying to achieve as a group of people. And it is it's really difficult right now because I think everyone is incredibly enamored with trying to solve the hybrid. Before we wrap chapter two, we want to share some of the brilliant ideas that came from David and Anu. The reason we selected both of them is that both companies have incredible ideas, programs, and tactics to truly generate internal empathy for the customer experience. So let's start with David. I think in the world of universities, there's enough bandwidth now that they are really meaningfully starting to think about their workforces. And I mean, the, clearly the student experience has been front and center. They're starting to be able to have enough bandwidth to, to look at themselves and from their employees as they start to think about how their staff, do they come back physically or not? And so we have been doing a lot with kind of, you know, obviously take, you know, going through and creating different types of personas that make it really manageable and understandable. I think that the, Amanda, as you described, like the yogurt aisle and news reference as well, it's totally true, right? Let me pause here and explain the yogurt example. You used to go buy yogurt at the supermarket, and there may have been a few flavors. 
But now there are so many options, flavored, unflavored, full fat, Greek, zero, so many choices that I'm so overwhelmed I leave without buying yogurt. You'll hear David and Anu come back to this example, which originally came to us in an article. As one recent ThinkLab Clubhouse guest shared, it's not enough to design for people. Today, we have to design for the individual and their choice, but maybe not so much choice that they can't buy yogurt. Every yogurt is unique and we want to have space for every yogurt, right? But it, but that's an unworkable, in a way, approach when you're trying to think about systems and ultimately the impact on space and different types of, you know, whether it's an IT uh, or an HR, you know, philosophy and policies and, and such. And so we have been sort of really teaming with folks around creating those personas, but really trying to find deep analytical tools behind what what sort of undergrids those personas. You know, what are commuting patterns? What are people's Wi-Fi quality like? And I think the really interesting thing to give something tangible about it is we are actually not talking about actual physical space regarding these conversations until probably halfway through that process which is a really fascinating thing, right? Like the outcome is in a way, it's about geographies, it's incredibly spatial, but we're spending half of our time talking about things that actually aren't spatial at all, at least as it sort of from a, is from a user-facing perspective. And that's a really fascinating thing because I, for us, going back to empathy, yeah, I mean, the users, the institutions, they clearly are thinking about their space, but they're really, it's a people question, not a space question and approaching it with very people-centric questions and a tone of empathy and listening. I want to repeat what David just said. 50% of the way through the project before he's even talking about space. Let's hear from Anu about some of the other fundamental and lasting ideas for creating empathy for the client experience. We are trying to understand the personal background of our clients more than, you know, professionally. Like, we get to know a new client I'm really trying to understand, and this was, it was an eye-opener to me today. I was talking to one of the vendors who we've been working with for the past, you know, seven months, and I said, hey, I think we should meet on site in the next two weeks. And then I stopped for a minute and I said, by the way, where are you located? Because that was never a question I would ask somebody that was working on a project with me in L.A. I would assume they were somewhere in here. And he said, I know it's funny you asked me that because two months ago I moved to Nashville, but I'm still working on projects everywhere. So now that has become kind of an interesting question for me to ask somebody before I start to, you know, set up meetings or start talking about meeting in person is like, hey, where are you located? Because I realize a lot of people have moved around and, and realized that the geography is not an issue anymore. Anymore. So we've been kind of scaling our questions back, getting to getting to know new clients to their personal setups in terms of, you know, where are you located? Like, are there days of the week you go into the office? I mean, is it better that we schedule those days, you know, our meetings on those days when you're in the office versus when you're working from home? In fact, I'd argue that just like you have project schedules in this new hybrid era, your timeline and map may need to include an overlay or at least a discussion, about which meetings are in person and which are remote. It's like another layer of social fabric that's currently new and at times awkward that will be important to create empathy, especially in the near-term future. 
The second thing to me is previously there was a lot of interactions between the client's teams in their offices, right? They were talking to each other. You know, if I needed something from a real estate person and, and needed something from a finance person, they would talk to each other because they would sit right next to each other and, and somebody would get me an answer. But what we realize now is they're very disconnected. You know, they don't go into the office. Uh, so they're each individually working as a client. So we're trying to like collaborate with them and setting up more internal meetings for clients so that they can talk to each other and and we get what we need to to do on our projects right because at the end of the day if you know we're not getting the answers the project's not going to move forward the interesting thing here is that think lab is hearing this phenomenon throughout the ecosystem with fewer in-person gatherings and fewer in-office meetings many interactions are happening one-to-one instead of one-to-many and many times yes even in a d firms the rep is the connector because internally, many companies have not yet mastered communication in this hybrid era. And I love this idea from Anu about a tool her team has developed. We have a full checklist for each of our clients to understand what's okay at a personal level. And I think that is really awesome and that really connects us better even though we're you know, not connected in a, in a physical way. I want to really dive in and not just to stories about yogurt, but about how these two companies are really leveraging internal policies to develop empathy with their clients, one another, and the world at large. Let's start with Perkins Eastman. They've done two things that fascinate me. The first is their work around the Learning Futures Project, reimagining higher education in 2025. Essentially, they engaged a panel of experts in a series of conversations focused on the future of higher education. The group's multidisciplinary expertise and diverse viewpoints enriched discussions as the participants explored what post-pandemic learning could look like, with a possible roadmap for 2025. This not only allowed them to build relationships with their clients throughout these discussions, but also created a great empathy-driven thought leadership piece to share back with the industry. And the second is their internal mentorship program. Let's hear about this from David. Perkins Eastman has what we think is probably one of the largest internal mentoring programs in the architecture and design industry with, with percent of, of the participating in quarterly activities. And, and that's mentoring at an individual scale. But when we think about creating communities around that sort of virtuous cycle, I, one of my colleagues at the Chronicle of Higher Education, a forum last week, was talking a little bit about the in reading rooms and libraries, right, which have all been empty largely for like the last year, that students particularly students that are coming from communities and in, in, in households where they didn't learn how to study, right? Like they, maybe they're the first generation college student and clearly they've got good study behaviors because they went to college, right? But the reading room in a library is an amazing opportunity to just sort of casually look around and see other people's, how they're studying. I, you know, think of the gym, right? You're like, wow, that person's doing that exercise and that seems to be working. Maybe I should try that exercise. There's this passive awareness to the in-person experience of you soaking things up that just is a, you know, a digital environment. We were talking in the hackathon, I think, about that work is the new religion or work is the new church. So you've heard about two empathy-driving opportunities from within Perkins Eastman that help understand our clients and coworkers. But now, let's hear from Anu about how JLL leverages their global reach to drive empathy and understanding for our world at large. I've been with the JLL 19 years, but I've worked out of seven different offices. And I started out in India, worked in four offices in India. Then I had an opportunity at the time, this was in 2006, 
2005-2006, JOL had a program where they would uh, offer, like there was a, it was called International Staff Exchange, so you would apply for it. There's certain criteria that you had to kind of sign or, or fill in to apply for the program. You would apply for the program and then you would go through a selection process. It's a, it's a very coveted program. Basically, you get to, you know, uh, go to another part of the world, live there for a year, work there and understand the best practices from that part of the, the world and then bring it back to your, your home country and hopefully implement some of those, you know, best practices. So it's career growth, leadership, but it's also about a cultural exchange. The person goes to a completely different culture and uh, hopefully when they come back they're in a year they're a completely different person as well for the better right so so I applied for that program in 2005 and 2006 uh, got selected and that's how I landed in uh, Orlando for a year but then a year passed by and then I liked working here so I went back to my manager and said hey I would love to continue here for a few more years and that few more years turned into 15 more years and uh, here I am as we wrap up chapter two I realize you may not have global reach for an exchange program, and for smaller companies, a formal mentoring program simply may not make sense. But I'll invite you to contemplate these questions. What empathy do you or your coworkers need to create a better experience for your clients? Is it a better understanding of the ecosystem and how projects get done? Is it a better understanding of other departments within your own organization? Is it the experience of a buyer of your products or services? And how do you help create that? And with that thought, let's dive into chapter three. I've invited my Sandow Design Group coworker and Hackathon co-facilitator, AJ Perone, to join me for insights. Here's AJ again. I'm AJ Perone. I'm Executive Vice President for Sandow Design Group and Design Futurist, which is super fun to be right now. You know, we've had a, a decade of, of change in a matter of weeks, and that's only going to continue as we go into this new hybrid environment. But for AJ, the idea of empathy is not just a business concept. It goes much, much deeper. Empathy is really about you trying to put yourself and experience something very different than maybe how you would experience it in someone else's shoes. Many times when we're going through the sales process or the customer journey, we're always thinking about, What's going to give us the edge up or how are we going to really land that project and really get this client to trust us when we're missing many times the point of really the things that are keeping them up at night and how they're thinking about the little things that can turn into big things and having empathy for that client and understanding all the things that they're trying to juggle is many times when we miss the mark is that we really haven't looked at things through the client's lens and I've been kind of working on the phrase design empathy over the last 10 years and it's this ability to to look at an experience in space through a different sensory experience. So Amanda, if you go into a store and you're like energized because there's fun dancing music and, and disco lighting and it just like the vibe of it is really exciting. Someone else that might have a different neurodiversity makeup would walk in there and be like, oh my goodness, this is so overwhelming. I need to run out of here as fast as possible. And we, we're really starting to see this translate into how people think and how they actually do knowledge work. And when we're talking about the work environment, it is very much about how people are thinking. And if when you have more diverse thinkers 
in a space and communicating differently or not understanding social norms in the same way, it can create a lot of challenges for those knowledge workers to not be successful. And so I have a son who's 25 who's on the autism spectrum disorder, and we have many friends and other young adults that are now working in the outside world, and there's so many challenges. And some of it is in communication, some of it is in the visual stimulation of the environment, some of it is having choice and control. And so this has been my passion project for over 25 years. There's so much to be learned by looking at the extremes of that too. If you have someone that has a lot of sensory integration issues and they can't focus, if you fix it for them, you fix it for everyone. There's lots of things that we can learn from that population and trying to accommodate for everyone that in a company, an organization, in a school, in healthcare, there's just so many learnings. One of the things I wanna call out for our listeners is that the idea of empathy connects throughout your organization and your ability to gain the next project. Let's hear from AJ about how we should be rethinking the client experience. The things that I thought were really interesting when we when we look at a sales organization, and we saw this in many different companies, that the best reps that had really strong relationships, and they were like gold, right, in that market, because they had been there forever, but they might not have known how to use the technology in the digital landscape to really help them through this adverse time of being remote. And so people that were at the top of their game actually came down to the bottom of their game. And you saw just more digitally savvy representatives that were using some of these tools in the digital landscape actually become more successful and and get better connections and relationships and being able to do the the lead development or the customer service that was needed in order to make projects go forward. So it was kind of like watching a few people be fish out of water, which was really scary for them and for scary for people that were managing them because we we had to upskill. We had to and many people did. They learned how to upskill. Like I'm terrible at PowerPoint. I got to figure this out and they did. But it's, you know, some of it is being willing to change and be agile. And if you have people on your sales team that are just stuck in their ways, it's not going to work for the future. And, you know, you either got to get them to be on board and learn new skills, or you might need to think about how you're servicing the community. So as we think about connecting and servicing in new and empathetic ways, let's hear three tangible pieces of advice from AJ. Number one, Develop empathy for the whole journey, considering physical and digital. You have to think about, number one, the digital journey, that customer, that client is having a digital journey, even if you don't think they are. They are Googling you. They are going to the website. They're looking at other competitors on Pinterest and Instagram. And so it's not that if you do some sort of digital marketing that you're going to acquire that client from what that specific Instagram post was, but you're building that presence of your brand and it, it can't, you can't silo it anymore. And so you have to understand that that all leads up. It's like a drip campaign, right? It all leads up to the, the total experience that that customer has with your, with your organization. And so you can't seclude it into silos anymore. It's got to be an integrated journey. Number two, don't sell a product. 
in an experience economy. The second thing that I think is really important is that we saw that when you're, especially in business development, that it can't just be looking at, okay, what project am I going to land and what I'm going to land right now? It is about building the brand and the experience that you can help build trust with that potential customer. And that is as important as being tactical and finding out what's the next project you can land right now. We heard from many people that, you know, they worked on campaigns with these clients for two or three years, sometimes longer. And so you have to have both of those activities happening at the same time. But if you're not doing that brand development and, and that brand positioning, what's going to happen is you're going to cap where you are with actually bringing in those new leads and, and those new customers because there's just too much other competition out there that they're not going to pay attention to you. And number three, don't give them what they ask for. Give them what they actually need. Third thing I think is really important is it's about agility. It's about flexibility. It's about meeting your customer where they're at and trying to solve their problems that they have right now. And then also thinking for them in the next future, like what's going to happen in 18 months, and then even a little further out. And you are you are their guidance. If you want them to trust you, you've got to be looking in their best interest. And they might have some really weird needs right now. And they're like, well, we don't really need this, but we really need this over here. And if you can adapt and be flexible to fill those new needs, you're going to be successful for that client. So as we bring episode six to a close... I invited AJ to leave us with her thoughts about why she's optimistic for our collective future. I'm optimistic because the rules are getting rewritten and that makes huge opportunity for everyone and in a little bit more of an equitable way. Like sometimes there's been these relationships that have been so embedded in the culture and you're like, oh, I'm never going to make progress there because that relationship is 20 years old. Everything's up for grabs right now. And, and that's the exciting part is like if you can figure out the new pathways and the new journeys that your clients need to be taking and the things that are, are new that they've never thought about before and help them find the answers and problem solve for them, you're going you're gonna to have a different standing in their mind than you would have ever been able to 10 years ago. So that's what's exciting to me because it's revolutionizing our industry right now. I want to thank our season two sponsors, Mannington Commercial and Keelhauer. We purposefully picked these sponsors this season because they both represent companies that are bringing new techniques and thinking from outside our industry and applying it in new and exciting ways. And for anyone who wants the cliff notes for this episode, let's hear from Amanda Darley, Marketing Director at Mannington Commercial, about her key takeaways from this episode. Hi, this is Amanda Darley, Director of Marketing at Mannington Commercial. And this episode of Design Nerds Anonymous just hit home. At Mannington Commercial, we constantly focus on how we can elevate the customer experience. And Amanda Schneider brought together guests Chris Denson, David Laveau, Anu Rao, and AJ Perone. And they talked about the evolution of the customer experience. So it was right up my alley, and I took a lot of notes. So here are my top takeaways from their conversation, in case you need the cliff notes. Number one, swim like an otter. 
meaning you don't just draw an otter and learn how to swim. You have to watch it, observe it, and then put your bathing suit on and dive in. Number two, focus on finding pain points, then gamify your culture to encourage people to solve them and align your organization to execute consistently. Number three, don't sell a product in an experience economy. And number four, align your culture and brand. Exponential growth comes from getting the second project and brand referrals, so make sure you don't have to keep finding first-time clients. So thank you so much. Those were my takeaways. And we hope you'll join us for next week's episode as we dive into the future. (laughs) Big topic, we know. But rest assured, we'll be diving in in true Think Lab style to the things that matter most for our collective future. Special thanks in this episode to Hannah Vitti, our audio intern from last season who you heard at the beginning of this season. She's now turned producer for all Sandow Sister Company podcasts, including The Mike from NYC by Design, Deep Green from Metropolis, And special thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music. 